Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you as we continue to go through the book of Acts that we see amazing and wonderful works, signs and wonders that you have done, Lord. May we hold fast to these words. May they speak to our hearts and our minds. May they empower us and lead us to change that we may follow you. And so we give you this time in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's say together our, our theme verse, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. As we go through the book of Acts, we see that this is the, the verse, the, the statement that Jesus made to his disciples, the, that Jesus makes to us. We see as we go through the book of Acts, Last week, that, that because of the persecution of Saul, this witness began to spread. They started to, to go beyond Jerusalem, all the way to Samaria. And, and as the book of Acts goes on, we'll see even more as their witness spreads. And so we have Saul. Saul is the one who is causing this persecution, and he's, he's causing the Christians to scatter. Have you ever had this experience where... You're angry with someone, and you have a conversation with yourself about how the conversation with them you imagine going, right? You're actually having a conversation with them, but not really with them. You're having it with yourself. Have you ever done that? I've done that before, and, and I'm having this conversation, and the problem often ha happens that because I'm angry at this person, when I say something to them and I imagine what they say, say back to me, I usually imagine them saying something that's going to make me more angry. <laughs> it's funny, right? You're not even having a conversation with them. But you imagine them saying something to you that makes you more angry. And so the longer the conversation goes on, the more angry you get. Fortunately, God at some point comes into that conversation and he reminds me, Chris, that conversation is probably never going to happen like that. <laughs> so why are you imagining it? And why are you making yourself more angry? And secondly, he says, but even if you do have a conversation with this person, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you resolve the conflict and get through your anger. See, we all need God in all aspects of our life, especially in those times when we're obsessing over something or when we're angry about something. And this is what we see happening with Saul. Saul is obsessing over the Christians, obsessing over those who are following Christ. He's angry. He's very angry. And we read these words. And when you see the yellow, please read with me. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So in his anger, in his obsession, he gets approval to go to Damascus. So now he's going farther away from Jerusalem to track down all these scattered Christians that we read about last week in Acts 8. And he wants to find these Christians, even though they're scattered, he's not going to let them get away. He's going to go find them, he's going to arrest them, and bring them back as prisoners. But something interesting happens along the way. 
And we read about it in the next part of Acts 9, 3 to 9. Again, when you see the yellow, please read with me. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now understand, Saul is a learned man. He has been taught in the ways of the church. He's been taught in the way of the law. He studied under a man named Gamaliel, which for you and me would be like going to Harvard University. He had the best education. He was very intelligent and knew his stuff well. So for Saul to believe in Jesus, it would take something very powerful, maybe something over the top to cause him to believe. He was not just going to be argued into the kingdom. And so we see that here is Saul. He's steeped in the law, but he was not close to God. The Pharisees, remember, were not close to God. Even Jesus himself, when he talked about the Pharisees, said, their heart is far from me. So it took a visit from Jesus himself to help Saul understand what was going on. Now, Jesus, remember, had returned to heaven, so the visit had to come from the sky. And so Jesus comes down, and in his glory, he shines down. Now, another interesting thing here is that Saul was the only one who saw Jesus, right? And so Saul gets this message from Jesus, gets this vision, gets this teaching given to him. You can imagine after it happened and he's telling the people, I saw Jesus, I saw Jesus. They would look at him like, are you mad now? I mean, you've been so obsessed, you've been so angry, this has led to madness for you. You are imagining now that you're seeing Jesus. And so they take him into Damascus and there he waits. Now, he's blinded for three days, we're told. This is not the first time that God has done something like this to help people understand that God is real, that God is powerful, that God is doing the work. You remember back when uh, Elizabeth got uh, pregnant with John the Baptist, and John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, did not believe in her old age that she could get pregnant. And so God caused Zechariah to not be able to speak until John the Baptist was born. We have a similar thing going on here with Saul. We have Saul not being able to see for three days to show Saul that it is indeed Jesus who is, he is persecuting. It is indeed Jesus who really spoke to Saul, and it is indeed Jesus who is the Savior of the world. When you believe in Jesus whether it's from a very early age or from maybe later in life when you come to believe Jesus, we all have a conversion story. Now, I think I've told my story before, but let me kind of summarize it again for you so that we can just have that perspective. 
I went to church with my family until I was about eight years old. Up to that point, I hadn't accepted Jesus yet, but we were going to church. And then our family just stopped. We stopped going. And I didn't go back to church until I was 15 when a friend of mine invited me to his youth group and I started to go. And I started to hear about Jesus. And God began to work on my heart. And then something happened and I left the church for a while. And then one day I got this little Bible in my locker. And that day when I went home, I was reading a bunch of verses in this little Bible. And at the end of the Bible... It had a sinner's prayer. And at the end of the sinner's prayer, it had a place where you could sign. And I remember, it's not as powerful and as profound as Saul's conversion, but I remember it was profound for me. To this day, I still remember, I got down on my knees next to my bed, and I prayed to Jesus to forgive me of my sins, to cleanse me of my sins, and to be my Savior and my Lord. And then after I prayed that prayer, I called my friend who had been inviting me to church, and I told him, Andy, I just accepted Jesus as my Savior and Lord. What an exciting moment for him to hear that. You have a story. How God has worked on your heart. And so the question then becomes, what is your story? What happened that led you to humble yourself and accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord? That is a story that you should tell to others. That is a story that you should share, especially to those who do not know Jesus. Say, you know, this is how I was before I knew Jesus, and I met Jesus, and he humbled me, and he touched my heart, and he forgave me, and I accepted him as my Savior and Lord. You know, that was the best decision I ever made in my life. In fact, it's the best decision that anyone can ever make in their life. But there's another part of the story, isn't there? There's another player in the game, and his name is Ananias. Now, we just read this, I know, but we're going to read it again just to really get a sense of what's going on here. So in Damascus, so remember, Saul is taken into Damascus. He's blind there. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man, and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. Come all the way to Damascus, they've heard about what Saul has been doing. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call in your name. He knew about this decree, this authority that was given to Saul to come into Damascus and to arrest Christians. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer in my name. When I was in my first call, a church in Colorado, I had been there for a few months, made a decision that was right and good for the church, but there was a lady and her husband that didn't like the decision. And I remember after that decision was made, she was in the choir, 
And every Sunday she would come in and she would just give me that evil eye. Have you ever had anyone do that? Every time you're around them, it's so uncomfortable, isn't it? You're around them and you know they're just so angry at you. And just she would sit there the whole service. I mean, I'm preaching and she's sitting in the choir and she just gives me that evil eye, you know? And her husband took it a step further. That summer of the first year I was there, the choir had its uh, end-of-the-year choir party and they didn't invite me. And in fact, on top of that, he went around trying to get the choir to support a move to try to remove me as faster. So this is what I was dealing with. Her name was Phyllis. His name was Arlo. He would sit right in the back, right in the middle. I mean, it's impossible. He's a tall man. Possible for me not to see him. Feeling the evil eye over here, seeing him right there. Every Sunday, that's what I dealt with, right? After three years there, I decided, Tammy and I decided to go back to California where our family was. We'd had Tyler, she was pregnant with Tiffany, so we went back to California. Well, a couple years after that, I got invited back to Colorado to do a wedding. So I did the wedding, and then the Sunday after the wedding, uh, I went to the church there because I still had friends there. And I remember I was in the lobby, and I was talking with some friends, and out of the corner of my eye, I could see Phyllis, and she was walking towards me. So I kind of braced myself, like, okay, what kind of... Oh, I forgot to tell you one thing. The very last Sunday I was there, right? The choir, I stood at the door like I do here, and the choir was the first to press us out. And so I was greeting people, and she came up, and her last words to me on my last day was, this is all your fault. And she walked off. So that's how I left the relationship, right? That's the very last thing that happened to me. So Phyllis is coming towards me, and I see her in the corner of my eye, right? And I'm like, okay, Lord, what's going to happen? And I turn to look at her. This big smile comes on her face. She hugs me, and she says, how are you doing? It's like, oh my gosh. What a change. What happened? Well, time had eased her anger and brought reconciliation to our relationship. But you can imagine when I first saw Phyllis, I even saw some of you like, oh, cringing, like thinking that Phyllis is coming up. So you can imagine when God comes to Ananias and Ananias says, guess what? I have a call for you. I have a job for you. You get to go pray for Saul. And Saul's like, ah, oh, not Saul. Saul's the one that's been persecuting Christians. Saul's the one that's been killing Christians. Saul's the one that, that approved the stoning of Stephen. Saul's the one that has the authority to come to Damascus and arrest more Christians. Saul's the reason why the Christians had to scatter. There was fear and there was anger in Ananias. But here we have a faithful servant of the Lord. I don't know if you noticed, but when, in the vision, when the Lord called out to Ananias, his response was, Here I am, Lord. You remember those words? I talked about them at Advent. Here I am, Lord. They're the words from Mary, remember? When God gave Mary the call, he said, you're going to be the mother, the savior of the world. And in the end, she finally said, here I am, Lord, your servant. Tell me what to do. They're also the words of Isaiah the prophet, who at first didn't want to be a servant of the Lord, thinking that he was a sinner and he wasn't, he wasn't going to be able to, to speak for the Lord. And in the end, God said, I will clean your lips. I will clean you. I will make you my prophet, I will give you the words to say. And in the end, 
Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, your servant. And so Ananias at first is fearful and angry, and then in the end he says, but Lord, I am your humble servant. Here I am, what do you want me to do? And of course, we read in the scripture that he told him to go to the house. And so we read as the scripture continues, and Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. You see the words that he used? Brother Saul. Now, those who are not filled with the Spirit, those who are not servants of the Lord, when you have anger towards someone, it's really difficult to get past that anger. It would be really difficult for you to accept Saul as your brother and again be in relationship with him but not for Ananias, for Ananias had been touched by the Spirit of God. Ananias is being led by the Spirit of God. When we are servants of the Lord, and the Lord asks us to do something, we might dialogue with him, we might debate with him for a while, like Mary did, like Isaiah did. But in the end, like all of God's servants, we should say, here I am, Lord, I serve you in whatever the call is you have for me. God ever asked you to do something really difficult? Has God ever asked you to reconcile with someone that, that was difficult to reconcile with? Your anger was so great, you said, I will never forgive this person. I will never let this go. It takes the Holy Spirit coming upon your heart to soften your heart and to humble you and to say, Lord, here I am, your servant. I will do what you call me to do. And we see here that Paul, or that Saul, who later will become Paul, Saul is filled with the Holy Spirit. His heart is touched, and he is changed. Saul has experienced the power of Jesus in being blinded. He's experienced the healing power of Jesus through the prayer of, of Ananias. He experienced the presence of of Jesus, both in the vision and now here in Damascus. Paul has experienced the fullness of who Jesus is, and his life is touched, and his life is changed. Later, as I said, Saul becomes Paul, and, and Paul will write these words in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Read the yellow with me. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Take those words in. Think about who is saying those words. Think about the life of Saul. Think about what Saul has done and the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy that he's experienced from God. Think about that as you hear him say these words, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It is a gift. You don't think Saul felt like this was a gift? He had been forgiven for all that he had done. As God had told Ananias, he is my chosen servant. What it took for God to forgive him, to cleanse him, to empower him, to lift him up, 
and to put him in a place where he could be a servant of the Lord. As a Pharisee, he understood that it was about the law and about works. But as he became a Christ follower, he understood it was about faith and grace and humility and obedience. We must understand who God is. We must understand his grace and love on our lives. We must understand the forgiveness he shows to us, the care and the concern. We must understand how he looks to each one of us and he says, you have a purpose in my kingdom. I want to use you. And we must say, here I am, Lord, your humble servant. I will do what you ask. So Ananias prays for him. And then something amazing happens next. Acts 9, 20 to 22. Read with me. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Now where is he preaching? He's preaching in the synagogues. He's not preaching as a Pharisee. He's not preaching as, as a Jew. He's preaching as a Christ follower. He's preaching about Jesus. All those who heard them were what? Were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call him his name? Is this really Phyllis? That's not the Phyllis I remember, right? Is this really Saul? Hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus and proving that Jesus is the Messiah. What a change! Saul believed that Jesus was the enemy. Saul believed that Christians were going to bring down the world. Saul believed that it was his destiny to get rid of the Christian church. And then he changes, and he becomes a preacher of Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah, and only in Christ is their salvation. What a change is going on in Saul's life. And what's another amazing thing is that you remember how bold and zealous he was as a Pharisee. God is using that boldness and that zealousness in his being a preacher of the gospel now. God will take the negative qualities that we have. And he says, you know what? I'm not going to get rid of them. You're still going to have them. They're still going to be part of your life. But you know what? I'm going to change them. I'm going to transform them. I'm going to empower them. And you're going to use those for the kingdom of God. So let's say that uh, before you were a Christian, you were someone who fought lots of things for yourself. You believed that material things made you happy. And so you went out and you bought all these things just for yourself. And then you become a Christian and you say, you know what? I need to use this for the kingdom of God. And so then God uses that quality and now you become a generous giver to others around you. Or maybe you only cared about yourself, but then you became a Christian and you become a helper to others. Or maybe you are a very witty person. You're a very witty person and you use your wittiness to put people down. But then you become a Christian and you use that wittiness to lead people to Christ and to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. God turns our negative qualities 
and he uses them to honor him. There's a story of a prairie chicken who found an egg and decided to sit on the egg until it hatched, not knowing that this egg was the egg of an eagle. That's how an eagle became born into the family of prairie chickens. Now, the eagles are the highest of birds, but prairie chickens are the lowliest of birds. Walking around, they don't know how to fly. They cluck, they eat out of the garbage. One day, this eagle, who thought he was a prairie chicken, looked up in the sky and saw a magnificent eagle soaring with grace and ease. And he turned to his family and he said, What is that? What kind of bird is that? And his family said, it's an eagle, but you could never be like that because you are just a prairie chicken. And they returned to pecking and clucking and eating garbage. And every day, the eagle would look up into the sky and wish that he were like that eagle. Not every thinking that he could open his wings and he himself would fly just like an eagle. And so this eagle died thinking he was a prairie chicken. I tell that story because Saul was like a prairie chicken. As a Pharisee, he was lowly because he was not serving the Lord. He was not living for the Lord. He was not living in the life that God created him to live. He was persecuting the church. He was persecuting Jesus. And then he was changed and became like an eagle, soaring and flying and bringing honor and glory to God. The good news is when, Paul, when Saul found Jesus and God changed him, it made a huge difference in the Christian church. I mean, Saul went to all different places, became probably one of the greatest evangelists of all time. He wrote almost half of the books in the New Testament. He wrote Romans and Galatians to show us how the law leads us to understand that the law can't save us. Only Jesus can save us. He wrote about the grace of God and the love of God and the forgiveness of God. We see in his own short-sightedness, in his own failings, we see how God can even come into our lives and show us his grace and his love and his forgiveness. God changed Saul's life through this important encounter with Jesus. And God will change your life and my life as we encounter Jesus. And I pray that we would seek Jesus each and every day and seek that change that God wants to make because it's so easy to get lost in our past. It's so easy to get lost in that sin that we don't fully ever get rid of. It's so easy to get lost in that on our own power. But in the power of Jesus, we can move forward and we can do great things. We're born to fly but some think that they are like prairie chickens and not eagles. And God wants to tell you, you are an eagle. You are meant to fly. You are meant to soar. You are made to do great things in my name. So let Christ touch your heart and give you the confidence to be all that he created you to be. There's a man named Pepe Rodriguez one of the greatest uh, bank robbers during the wild, wild west. He lived in Mexico, and he'd regularly come across the border, and he'd rob a bank in Texas, and he'd go back into Mexico. And the Texas Rangers were not allowed to go into Mexico, and they get so frustrated. And so one day, they decided to, to illegally cross over the border, and they tracked Pepe 
to this bar. Now, the problem was is Pepe didn't speak English, and the Texas Rangers didn't speak Spanish. But the bartender spoke both. And so the Texas Rangers, with their guns pointed at Pepe, said to the bartender, tell him that we are here and we're very angry with all the robberies he's done. And if he doesn't tell us where the money is, we will shoot him down like the dog he is. And so the bartender in Spanish told Pepe this. And Pepe responded back to them. He said, tell them the money is hidden in the well. Count down 17 stones from the handle, and that's where all the loot is. And the bartender turned to the Texas Rangers, and and he said to the Texas Rangers, Pepe is a very brave man, and he thinks that you are all scoundrels, and he's not afraid to die. (laughs) Why would the bartender do that? He wanted the money for himself, didn't he? We see the sinfulness in us that if we're not careful, will raise itself up and make us think that money will bring us happiness, success will bring us happiness, people will bring us happiness. And in the end, we must realize that there's only one thing that will fulfill us, and that is salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Saul thought he was doing well as a Pharisee, persecuting Christians, but then he met Jesus, and his life was forever changed. And he is the one who wrote these words, Again, read the yellow part with me. He says this, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my selfish, sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. He ultimately recognized his sin. We must recognize our sinfulness And we must recognize that it is only in Christ that we can be changed out of that sinful nature and become the glorious people that God has created us to be. And so I pray that you would give yourself over to Jesus this day. Encounter Jesus each and every day. Let him change you and become the person he created you to be. Let's pray.